Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Creative Income podcast with your host, Lars Lindstrom. I am happy to be here. I really am. I've loved the last few guests I've had in the podcast. Uh, I've learned a ton, and I think ultimately that's what this is all about, right? I I don't think I would do this if I didn't get anything out of it. And I think what I'm getting out of it more than anything right now is education. Um, and the the guest we have on this week is Oren Sofer. He's another cinematographer. It was referred to me by Todd Ben Hazel ASC from a couple of weeks ago. Um, one of the things we talk about, which I love, is reaching down uh, and pulling other artists and creatives up with us as we grow and become better. And Oren is absolutely a proponent of that. And uh, you'll, you'll see in this episode how he talks about it. But um, he just finished a movie uh, with Gareth Edwards directing um, as the second unit cinematographer under Greg Frazier, who, of course, won the Oscar for Dune, shot the Batman, Rogue One, and a lot of other iconic films of our time. So uh, obviously, I'm very excited to have Oren on and to hear him uh, uh, discuss some of these things. One of the th- uh, things, we, topics we got into for the last like 15 minutes of the podcast was AI and how it's going to affect the creative industry in the future and uh, really fascinating stuff. So please stick around for the end there. Uh, one last thing, please share the podcast with your friends, you guys. I, you know, I, as much as I love doing this, I mean, I, I would do it no matter what, but it's it feels good when it's validated. Um, when I see the numbers going up, ticking up, uh, you're sharing it. And I and I do see it. Like just yesterday, I had 50 more listeners than I did the day before. You know what I mean? So it's like, I didn't release an episode yesterday. So obviously you're, you're talking about it and it's so appreciated, honestly. Um, so if you can, uh, drop a link on your social medias. Um, just let people know this is out there, it exists. I think it's very valuable for a lot of other creatives in our field. So without further ado, let's just jump right in it. Here's Oren. Uh, Oren, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, dive into some juicy details. Ooh, oh man. About, about, uh, about all things. <laughs> I, love, I love the enthusiasm so much. Uh, you, were, you were recommended to me by, by Todd Ben Hazel, who uh, is a dear friend of mine, and, and I think you as well. Um, yes. And it, it was like the one, I reached out to Todd after we finished our podcast, and I said, who do you think has the mentality or the personality or whatever to be on the podcast next? And he just, without even hesitating, Oren, this guy, reach out uh, to this guy. It was cool. So, so I, I hope he's not wrong. I hope this wasn't a, an epic disaster, right? I hope he's not wrong either. I mean, <laughs> who knows? We'll find out in, in an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You can, you can um, send me a, a report later. You can tell him actually, tell him how, yes. how I did. Yes, of course. And, of and course, I don't, yeah. I don't want to know. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Todd's one it. of my favorite people. I, I, I I love him so much, and and it is very sweet of him um, to have uh, to to have put me forward. And and of course, as I mentioned before, well, before we started recording, uh, he had nothing but great things to say about this platform and and your podcast and everything you're doing. So uh, very nice. If if Todd says to do something and recommends <laughs> to do something, I I do it. I jump. So it's the same. It's the same for me. Yes, in Todd we trust. Um, exactly, cool. in Todd so, we trust. In Todd we trust. Yes. I'll make the t-shirts. I'll make yeah, the perfect. t-shirts. I'll send you one. Perfect. I'll make 50, sure I send 50. you one. We'll split it. Um, Oren, how did you get started in the uh, in the cinematic world? Uh, you're a cinematographer. Um, did yeah. you go to school for it? Uh, did you just kind of fall into it? What happened? I went to NYU film school mm-hmm. uh, for undergrad. So I pretty much knew I wanted to be a cinematographer around high school. Um, I grew up in Israel, so pretty much as far removed from like pursuing filmmaking or cinematography as a career as possible. But, uh, I, I fell in love with, with filmmaking and, and I was making little, uh, kind of mini DV camcorder movies with my friends. Um, and we had a, we had like a filmmaking class in high school, which I realized is quite rare, but, um, Mm. it was a great, like first foray into learning about basics. And I, I got like, um, I mean, this was 2003, so there weren't a ton of online resources about cinematography yet, but there was just enough so that I got like the the uh, the five C's of cinematography, the book, Blaine yeah. Brown, cinematography. There were like a few kind of keystone uh, books and educational resources that that I read in high school that really got me like, oh, this is what I want to do. This is this is this is what I'm interested in, and I was always. Um, I loved movies growing up. So yeah. that was, that was my, my initial way in is I just, I was a cinephile and I loved, I loved films and filmmaking. 
Um, and I also did photography and painting and all sorts of visual arts. So it all funnels into cinematography. Yeah. Was this something that your parents maybe were a little bit like more supportive of, or was it like, no, you got to be, be a doctor or or something that's just like, like, were they like completely on board always with you, uh, being a cinematographer or studying more creative fields? Thankfully, yes. Um, there are no other artists in my family, uh, or at least not uh, professionally. I mean, you know, everybody yeah. has a little bit of um, artistic nature in them, I think, but uh, n- nobody professionally in my family. So they're all uh, engineers and computer scientists and and mm. and professors and psychologists, and it's, it's a whole thing. But uh, thankfully, my parents were always um supportive i think they were they were also a little skeptical um at first but but certainly supportive like they were like sure you want to he clearly loves this thing wants to go to (laughs) film school great as long as you're getting a ba like you're getting a general education as well as a film degree um and keeping your options open meanwhile i'm like no, you don't understand. I'm doing this. Like I'm pursuing this as a career and I am dead set on this goal. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I just don't think they, um, they have any knowledge of, of what a sustainable career in filmmaking looks like because they have no examples to point to. So I understand yeah. there's where their skepticism came from, but thankfully they were always supportive. I never got, and I have like a, like a naggy Jewish family, obviously. So uh, I give them credit for not giving into their darker instincts that I'm sure were always there um, underneath the surface of like, no, you, you have to pursue this and this and this. Um, so yeah, my parents um, avoided the, that fate, thankfully. Yeah. Well, and it, it, the good news is it turned out very, I think, well for you. It seems like you're very successful and everything I, <laughs> I could see on your Instagram and, and even your IMDb, it seems like you've got some really, really awesome things going on. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. We've, uh, we've been very lucky and fortunate. Uh, to get to where we are. Still a lot of growth to do. I'm still young in the industry uh, by, by industry standards. So yeah. even though I don't, I don't feel young all the time, I, I, you know, wake up in the morning with like a sore neck and, uh-huh. and my whole day is shot. Like I'm already there, but, um, but uh, on the long scale of career uh, timelines, I'm, I'm doing okay. And I'm, I'm definitely very, um, very grateful for that. And uh, yeah, got some exciting stuff coming up. So Thing, things yeah. things worked out. Yeah, things worked let's out. Talk, let's, let's talk about God. NYU and and the education because there is always the argument that uh, you can mm. you can jump into the filmmaking world and and be successful whether or not you go to school for it. And so I, I'm curious your thoughts on uh, your education. Was it worth it? Would you do it again? Would you recommend it? Yeah, I, I mean, on a purely technical standpoint, I, I agree with that sentiment. Like, there is no necessity to go to film school in order to enter into the film industry. And there are, for every example of somebody who uh, went to AFI or went to wherever and graduated and had a successful career, there's another example of somebody who made it on their own. So like just from, just from a pure data standpoint, there's no argument that film school is like necessary. Hmm. It, it ends up coming down to the individual. For me, because I grew up so removed physically from the the film industry, especially the film industry in America, and the idea of pursuing a career in film, the concept of just moving to America and like starting from scratch, starting from nothing with no connections and not knowing anybody or anything was impossible. Like I just could not <laughs> fathom doing that. Um, yeah. and cause that's a big thing, like moving halfway across the world. And I grew up in the States when I was a younger kid. So I have citizenship, thankfully. And I also have, um, I always had a foot in American culture, but I still didn't know anybody. So like just doing that, I'm amazed that anybody does that even just moving from like their small town and to LA and just starting their career, much less like moving from a foreign country, which, which a lot of people do as well. And I have, I have just nothing but respect for it, but I, I don't know. I, I think I needed a structure in order to, to have a shot, like to have a chance at getting my footing and understanding how the industry worked and meeting people. And that was really the main advantage of NYU was most of my closest friendships today are people that I met at NYU. So, uh, I think without that, I, I, yeah, I just don't know where I would be and socially career wise, like it all, 
it all I can all trace it back to film school, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that is the necessary path for everybody. But yeah. I think it was the necessary path for me. Yeah. Uh, at least in that regard. Now, did I learn things at school that are relevant to me today? Maybe a little less so. Like I definitely learned a lot more on set than I did in the classroom, which is sort of the cliche that people say about film school. But it's it's true. It's it's a cliche for a reason. And uh, but being there gave me access to sets and gave me access to be able to work on student films and and learn how to um, pull focus and learn yeah. how to how to be a, a camera assistant, which which I did for a while and 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 operate and um, get my feet wet as a DP shooting student films where there are no stakes. Like at the end of the day, yeah. I mean, the stakes maybe feel very. You want to be, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like the stakes feel high in the moment. It feels like the most mm. important thing in the world. But in hindsight, like you're making student films. So it's it's a <laughs> chance to experiment and get messy and try out and try things out. And I definitely learned a lot from that and from certain internship opportunities. So yeah, like overall, I'm happy that I went. And I don't think I would be where I am today if I didn't. But I don't think it's necessary. And I also think that the financial burden uh, of going to college is a huge factor. And, yeah, and I'm also very grateful. I have to acknowledge that that wasn't a factor for me because my parents mm. sent me to college. So yeah. that's, that, that was not a consideration. Yeah. You know? So, so maybe you're, you're graduating NYU, you've, you've shot some short films, a couple music videos, maybe how do you start marketing yourself and, and getting paid jobs at this point? Uh, Trial and error, um, <laughs> putting yourself <laughs> out there a lot. Uh, yeah, the How first few I mean, years. What, what year did you graduate? Remind me. It's uh, So it's, I graduated in 13, uh, 2013. Okay. And uh, there, there were certain systems in place when I graduated that, that one was able to pursue to find opportunities. Some mm. of them probably still exist today, but this was 10 years ago. So everybody has to take this with a, a bit of a grain of salt. But at the yeah. time- well, first of all, the NYU network certainly helped. Like I was getting hired to uh, be a camera assistant and a camera operator for other cinematographers who were a few years ahead of me uh, at NYU. So they had already been graduated for a few years. I had worked with them on student films. I send them a, a message saying, hey, um, just graduated, um, put me to work. And as, as was this like, get, were you getting their numbers through other teachers or, or someone at, like well, on campus? Like, Hey, this person I saw is shooting this cool film or something like, how did you meet those people? Reach out to them? Was it Facebook? What did that look like? No, these were people I met at NYU while I was okay. a student. Okay, great. Yeah. So, so these were people that for the one thing that was great about NYU and I, I can't speak to other film schools cause I don't know how they're structured, but NYU has a very specific um, hierarchy within it that ultimately is a good thing where freshmen and sophomores work on junior and senior level films. Like there's an intentional mm, effort mm -hmm. from juniors and seniors to go into freshman and sophomore classes and look for crew and pitch their projects and bring people on. So Fun. it ends up creating this kind of mentorship um, funnel, which is really, really great. Yeah. So those were the people that I, that I te texted, the people that I already knew. Um, but yeah, I was able to sustain myself financially on those gigs for like two years. Um, and, and then in addition to that, trying to shoot whatever I could, but I was definitely making less money as a DP than I was as a camera operator or a focus puller because the types of jobs I could get as a cinematographer at that time were like fellow students who just graduated, who are maybe yeah. shooting personal projects, web, a lot of web series around 2013. That was, that was big. Yeah. A lot of uh, DSLR 5D web series, oh, yeah. um, music videos, uh, that kind of, of stuff. A lot of 5D so, everything. A lot of 5D music videos. A lot of 5D, a lot of 5D everything. commercials. A lot of 5D yep. everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of yeah. a lot of web content, uh, kind of reality docu content. I did some stuff like that, um, and some uh, like commercial adjacent stuff, but not yeah traditional commercials. And uh, yeah, another source of it was um, Mandy.com and, and Craigslist mm. were both mm. um, like legit sources of, of gigs. Like you could, every day you would log in and, and see there would be dozens of new listings of everything yeah. from the, all the jobs that I just mentioned, web, mostly web series, and, uh, music videos, student films at other schools like New York Film Academy and stuff like that. And I, I would just apply to everything. 
Yeah, yeah feature film based off of a Craigslist ad. Very first, yeah. first feature film. I, yeah. It's like it wasn't for the feature, but it was something else. And I met this other director and was like, you know, eventually he's like, hey, I'm doing a, a film. Do you want to come shoot it for me? And so, so yeah, 100%. I, I absolutely it was definitely a resource. Yeah. Yeah. I got a feature off of Mandy.com. Yeah. yeah. It was one, <laughs> one of my early features. Um, and yeah, enough said. <laughs> yeah. Right. So <laughs> um, for did you did you have to purchase equipment? Like we talked about this 5d revolution and what we're talking right. about is like those DSLR cameras that when they transition from just shooting stills only to implementing video software, uh, to allow you to shoot 24 frames a second for those that don't know. So did you have to buy any of that equipment or, or did you pass, did you bypass the equipment owning thing? Somehow I bypassed it. Mm. I, I, I don't really, I'm not really sure how I got away with it, but I, I had a, I had a few friends who owned a 5D. Yeah. So in a pinch, I, I, I would borrow or rent theirs, like throw them 50 bucks and rent their camera. Cause by that point they had, they had paid it off. I mean, yeah, we're still talking about a maybe $2,000 camera. I think if I totally. remember correctly, like the 5D. Yeah. 20, I think so, the body knew was 2,500. Yeah. 2,500. Yeah. So maybe 3,000 yeah. with a, like a kit lens or something. Yeah. So by that point, by 2013, uh, most people had had them for a few years. So probably paid them off. So I could call up a friend and be like, Hey, I've got this gig. Can we throw you 50 bucks? Can we throw you a hundred dollars to rent your, your 5D package? Uh, so I never bought one myself. I just couldn't really afford it. I, I had a, um, I had a T2I, I had a rebel T2I. So yeah, in a pinch, I, I have shot some stuff on it. I did shoot some stuff on it at the time, okay. but it wasn't quite the same. Like the 5d was better and you could, you, by that point you could hack it. Like there were all these, um, articles Black, online. Yeah, about it was the, like the picture uh, profiles ma- and magic. Some, what was it called? Like, do you oh, remember God, it was like magic, magic gadget, lantern? Is that? magic lantern. Oh, magic lantern. Yeah. Yes. Magic lantern. <laughs> it was magic lantern. Oh man. <laughs> Memories. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So ex- Exactly. And um, yeah, so either that or you could rent all this stuff at Adorama for really cheap as well. Mm, mm-hmm. So for for slightly more legit gigs where all you needed was a DSLR package, you could get one from Adorama for like 100, 150 bucks, I think, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, I never I never bought one. And, I, and then as the um, prosumer gear sort of, excuse me, uh, as the prosumer gear increased in quality, I, I never bought, I still never bought in. I didn't, mm. I never got a red. I never got a black magic. I, like as the, I never got a Sony, um, uh, um, FS seven or anything like that, or, or, uh, Canon C100 or anything. I just yeah. Yeah. somehow managed to avoid like getting into that prosumer gear level, um, gear and purchasing. That argument. I managed to, yeah. There's I I because I because I did I I bought all those cameras uh, and then some, yeah <laughs> and um and and it worked for me in my world right so I'm doing a lot of TV movies where maybe the labor rates for cinematographers are terrible right or just not not right. great and to own a home to pay the mortgage to have a family it's just like you can't you can't do it on labor alone so for me I could see early on yeah I've got to own equipment to to get that rental income uh, yeah. as well um, but I've you know I've I've spoken to other cinematographers that that did not go that route that maybe actually their careers are doing, uh, they're more successful in, in some ways because they're able to cater, um, their equipment specific to jobs. Right. So it's like, if you're yeah. prepping a, a commercial, you can go, okay, what's the, what do I want this to commercial to look like? Maybe it's K 35s, maybe it's, uh, anamorphic, maybe it's, you know, it's like, and you can be very specific about the look. Um, whereas like, I'm going to lean more towards equipment that I own because I've invested so much in it. Hundred percent. I, I think it ends up self-selecting in that way. Like, I definitely lost gigs because I didn't own equipment. Because mm. on all those websites that I mentioned, uh, Craigslist and Mandy, they would often specify like looking for a cinematographer with gear. With gear. And I would apply to these anyway, because you hope that the strength of your reel can maybe supersede your lack of equipment in in some instances. Mm. Um, and and in some cases it doesn't, but like you said, it, it, it does sort of end up working out because you self-select for the types of jobs that, that do per, uh, put more emphasis on the quality of work uh, as a cinematographer and the quality of your reel as opposed to just what gear you own. But I always yeah. avoided it because I couldn't, I couldn't afford it. And I also, um, 
part of it was laziness too. I was like, I just never wanted to be a rental house. Like I could yeah. tell from the friends that I would rent gear from that it's always a bit of a pain in the ass. Like I would have to coordinate with them and come pick it up and to take it away and drop it back. And I didn't want to deal with any of that stuff. So especially in New York city. So yeah. I just avoided it. Yeah. Somehow. So are you, are you still in New York city or are you in Los Angeles now? No, I'm in LA now. I, I moved here yeah. um, five years ago. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so you're, you're doing some of these Mandy and Craigslist jobs and maybe yeah. uh, you're starting to create some relationships with different directors and producers and hopefully the idea is that they scale and they bring you along. Uh, is that what happened or how were you able to transition from online Craigslist gigs to something a little bit more sustainable as a cinematographer for your career? It was really gradual. I mean, it, it happened in some instances and then in others it didn't. And there's directors that I worked with circa 2016, 2017 that I haven't worked with since because I maybe moved on to um, different type of job and, and they kind of continued doing this t kind of stuff that we were doing back then. Hmm. Um, and so I was just able to continue networking and meeting new people that were doing the kind of work that that I was doing at the same level. And it was just a constant sort of gradual level up. Like the turning point year for me was 2016. I got two jobs on my reel that I think were, were quite definitive in terms of quality uh, levels. One was a music video and one was, um, was like a PSA for Special Olympics. Both were wow. almost no budget jobs. They were, um, the music video had a thousand dollar budget total most of which went to catering and the truck rental. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the PSA was $4,000 total. All of those were beg, borrow, or steal jobs, camera package for yeah. a favor, begging a rate, all that stuff, getting a colorist and everything. But the end result, I think, was at a sort of quality level, like the piece overall, not just individual shots for my reel, but the actual work itself was at a, at a higher level than the budget uh, would imply. And I still have those jobs on my reel on my website today. So I, wow. I, they're still at a quality level that I think is worthy of inclusion. But I think that once I had those, plus some of the shorts that I had done and, and some of the features, it, it was just, um, I became very active about meeting new directors and reaching out to people on Instagram or email that I would come across their work and uh, trying to meet them for coffee get my work in front of them, get it seen. And I think identifying people who were kind of in the same position that I was, like maybe they had one or two high quality projects under their belt as a director, sort of like I did as a DP. So it's like, oh, this is perfect. We're both like right the on this cusp. Yeah. So exactly. So now we can do one together. We can do another one. And that's essentially what happened. Um, and it's a numbers game. Like you reach out to a hundred yeah. people and- yeah, I was actually you just going to ask you to five. quantify it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so no, for me, it's like it's... A, one, a one to 10 ratio, right? So it's like I hear yeah. back from maybe one out of 10 people that I reach out to, and then I probably do work with one out of 50. You know, it's kind of it's kind of how I quantify it. Absolutely. I would even say it might even be one out of 100 for me. Wow. But, um, yeah. but at least at first. And, and, and the thing is, is as time went on, I got better at identifying people who are at the same level and also mm -hmm. the quality of my work and sort of the volume of quality of work increased as well. So as both of those things met in the middle, the ratio increased. So now I'm at the point where most people that I reach out to, I get a response because I'm just very, I'm more deliberate about who I'm reaching out to. And also I think I have mm -hmm. more work that speaks for itself than I did in 2016. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the ratio gets better as time goes on, I think, at least I've found. Um, yeah. And then whether or not well, it translates your work, to a your job work probably is, yeah. got a lot better too. You know, it's like, it did. I think that's, it did. that's probably exactly what happened. Now, talk to me about that um, as, a, as a creative. Um, from, so 2016, you have these two projects that you feel very good about. Did something change with you and your mentality that year to, you know, it's like creatively. Did you say, okay, like this is the kind of work I want. I'm going to only take jobs right. that represent this in me now. Cause that was one thing that Todd kept saying that I loved was that you've got to put your stamp on everything you do. If you're doing a couch commercial, make it absolutely the most you couch commercial you could possibly imagine. And that's the only way to get noticed really in a world full of tons of noise. So how were you able to 
kind of cut through the noise and and make sure that people could see your work was stellar? Yeah, I think that's been a guiding principle of mine from from very early on is that your reel and your website is philosophically not just a resume. That's what a resume is for. Like there's <laughs> a separate document where you can actually just look mm. at a list of things that you've done. The reel and the website is a curated um, gallery presentation of the type of artist that you want to be and the type of work that you want to put out into the world with your name on it. So it's a reflection of what makes you unique as, a, as an artist and as a cinematographer. Mm. I think that's what any artist's portfolio should be. And I think that if you look at some other disciplines and lines of work, like photographers, for example, will usually separate. They'll have their like, oh, here's my gigs section of my website. So you can see my editorial portfolio work, uh, my bread and butter commercial stuff. But then here's my like fine art photography. And there, there is a distinction. And mm. I feel that way about cinematography as well, um, where the stuff that I put out there in public and present as my work, my body of work, is the, the stuff that represents the, the type of work that I want to create, as well as the type of work that I have created. So that's always been important to me. I don't know where I got that idea from, maybe somebody in film school, but I know that once I graduated, I'd already been thinking about that. So then it was just a matter of finding those jobs to, to put on the website and finding work that aligned with, um, with your own personal expectation of the quality of work that you want to do. And there was this great video that somebody had created that was set to some words from a speech by, I think it was, I want to say Ira Sachs, where he talks about the gap. Do you know what I'm talking about? This, this, no. this was very seminal to me in, in like 2013. Um, and I, I, I hope it's Ira Sachs and that I'm not getting that wrong, but somebody will fact check me later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the concept of the gap is just that artists at, at, especially early on, but actually all throughout their career, go through this, um, there's this disconnect. There's always a little bit of a disconnect between what you envision and how you see something and how you execute it. And mm. bridging that gap and also mm. figuring out how to become whole with that gap is like the entire artist's journey is... Oh. A, learning the technical tools to like yeah. understand how to execute what you want to do, but then also at the same time accepting that th there's always going to be a little bit of a gap. Like there's some stuff that you're never going to be able to bridge and that that's mm -hmm. a journey that all artists go through. So I think that was, um, that was very definitive for me between like 2014 and 2016 was figuring out like, oh man, I have an idea of the type of stuff that I want to do. Now it's like, how do I find those opportunities and, and how do I, when I get those opportunities, make sure that they meet that level of quality that I want? Because some of the gap comes from just your own personal lack of like technical ability, experience, sure. knowledge, Sometimes, et cetera, yeah. right? And, and that's something that grows with time and gets better with time. And, uh, and, and that's something that I think everybody's still on, or any, any artist worth their salt, I would say, is still on a journey of, including myself, like... I would yeah. never sit here and just say, oh, I, I know everything. I'm, I'm I great it. at, <laughs> exactly. I bridged it. I'm done. I, I yeah. peaked. I, I'm not going to improve anything from here. Uh, no, it's like very much learning and improving and, and growing as an artist um, as we go along. But the, the, the sea change in 2016 was that those two uh, jobs that I mentioned were the first ones where the final product was at the level of quality that I expected it to be at, mm. uh, holistically. Yeah. The cinematography and what I brought to the table, I was very happy with, but also the editing, the sound design, color, the concept in general, the imagery in general, everything clicked for the first time. And mm. I think that's, that's what shifted and that's what really made me, made me understand and realize the importance of not just pursuing work where I could create visuals that I was happy with and then maybe put a still out of context on my website or a shot out of context on my reel, even though I don't think the overall piece is very good, but the pursuit of good work from a holistic standpoint, creating a commercial music video, film, whatever that 
is good on its merits sometimes in spite of the cinematography, like the cinematography, the quality mm. of the cinematography is immaterial to the quality of the piece as a whole. Yeah. And, and hopefully I can then also meet the quality of the piece with the quality of the cinematography, but that's on me. The rest of it though <laughs> is, is on all the other artists that you're collaborating with. And that was, yeah. it's just something that takes time to find those people to, to work with. And, and um, yeah. Were you able to get representation from those two projects you did in 2016 or did that come later? It, it was because of those projects. So you, who was well, the artist and some for the, personal the music connections. video? Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah. her, her, her name is Amira Leon. Uh, so okay. so t this was an NYU connection. Um, mm. This is an artist. Uh, she went to NYU. The director was uh, somebody who I shot their student film years prior. And then we had worked together a couple of times since, including on that music video. So it, it did kind of directly come out of NYU. And actually the NYU. other project was also an NYU connection. So hey, there, you, there go. you go. School. There's, yeah, a, there's but, a huge <laughs> argument for school right there. <laughs> well, exactly. Now, th th you know, yeah. you can make those connections on your own as well. And many people do without yeah. the uh, yeah, structure yeah. of a film school. But anyway, yeah, I did. So I, I, by that point, a few friends of mine who also went to NYU, um, who were a couple of years ahead of me had had already gotten representation as cinematographers so they were able to kind of recommend me to um partos company at the time uh -huh. doesn't exist anymore yeah no it doesn't sure. yep. yeah <laughs> i'm sure you've been yeah. through yeah uh but anyway um so on the strength of that recommendation i met with them but because i had the the work to justify getting signed i think that that's that's why that happened um Great. And I, I was still probably a little premature at the time, to be honest, but, uh, mm. but I wasn't complaining about it. It was definitely, it was, if, if it was a nice milestone to hit for sure. So that happened in 2017. Okay. And so at what point, I think it's part of disappeared around 2020, is that right? Or 20, was it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was end of 2019 because it was pre pandemic. Yep. I was trying to think in, in terms of yeah. that. It was the very end of 2019, December. So were you were you with them until they disappeared? I I, I was clinging to that railing on yes. the back of the Titanic the whole time uh -huh. as it was okay. as as sinking. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that was me. With everybody else with all yep, the hundreds like of other DPs, swig that had of a, yeah, swig of a flask, looking across <laughs> the way at the end. You're like, oh, uh -huh. you're up here too. You're up here. Oh, too? Yeah. Okay, oh, cool. Hey. Yeah, cool. Yeah, because many I, people I have, have left friends. by then. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I, yeah, have, yeah I have a few friends that, that went down with the sinking ship. Yes. Yep. Yep. So, yep, yep. But, uh, wow. so, so the, the ship goes down and <laughs> you're, you're obviously working, you're doing some higher caliber quality stuff. You've made some great connections. Uh, how are you able to transition though to, I, I just saw, uh, you're starting a project, uh, true love with Greg Frazier. Talk to me about this. I don't know anything about it. I don't know if you're able to talk about it. Um, yeah. but, uh, Greg Frazier is for those that don't know the, the two people on the planet that don't know who Greg Frazier is <laughs> like one of the greatest cinematographers of our time, um, and completely snubbed from the Batman nomination in, in my mind for the Oscars. Uh, uh I just rewatched it this week. Oh my gosh. Yep. That movie. <laughs> Every yeah, frame yeah, they... is a painting. Even like the, like, like half second, like car chase cut scenes where it's just like, you don't know it's, it's unbelievably thought out. Just a painting. hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. But um, so, what is this project you're doing with Greg, and how did you get that? Greg has been sort of a mentor since mm. uh, I met him in 2017, actually. Okay. Uh, so it goes back that far, and we had um, kept in touch over the years. Since then, I would do random odd jobs with him uh, here and there, like a day here, day there. Uh, and then, yeah, he. Two years ago, actually, it was in, uh, well, a year and a half in 2021, he called me about this, this, this feature with Gareth Edwards, directed by Gareth Edwards, that he's uh, attached to and looking to bring in an additional DP. Uh, I can't talk too much about it in specifics because we're going to get into it when the film comes out later this year. Right. But uh, we, it's, it's in the can. We shot it last year in Thailand. Wow. And um, it's been in post for uh, the last few months, and uh, yeah, it comes out in October. So very excited about that one. It was. It was How a trip. do you get? 
how do you get someone like Greg Frazier as a mentor? I think a lot of people just like, yeah, how does, how does that happen? I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, well, you know what? Here's my speculation. I've never actually asked him about this. So I, so I, I actually, I don't know, but I, I can speculate. And my speculation is, well, first of all, this, this is not speculation. This is very obvious from his public conduct. Um, but Greg is just a very generous person in terms of mentorship and, and, Mm. uh, offering opportunities to the next generation of cinematographers and bringing people in to shoot second unit and do all of these things. He's done it on all of his recent films. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's just something he's very public about in his actions. Um, so that's first and foremost is people that are open to that. And, and, and this is something that I think Todd is very open about as well. Todd Ben Hazel, our, our mutual yeah. friend and human extraordinaire. This is something that's very <laughs> important to, to me on a personal level as well, um, to, to kind of reach back to the next generation now that's coming up below me and, and help yeah. pull people up as well. Like that's really, really important to me. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I try to do as much of that as possible um, in my own conduct to pay it, to pay that forward. So that's, that's one part of the equation. And then the other part of the equation is I think that Greg just saw something in my work that probably because I've been ripping him off for years because <laughs> I've been inspired by him, um, and, yeah. and very much inspired by his f- philosophy of, of shooting and cinematography. So that influence probably seeps in and, um, and the reason that you can sense that influence is because this goes back to what we were talking about before is I think it's just because I curate my work and because mm-hmm. what you see out there is a very honed in expression of what I want people to associate me with visually and that represents my taste and represents my, my interests visually and aesthetically. So I think that that's what someone responds to is you can see that there's something there. You can see a through line or you can see um, like a little piece of myself in everything, even if it's a vodka commercial, like, like Todd was saying. <laughs> yeah. But I yeah, feel exactly. that way because th- there's a lot of commercial work that I've done that's not on my website um, yeah. because it doesn't, it doesn't align. Represent with- you. Yeah. No, I don't feel like there's a, there's my, uh, any of myself in it, but the stuff that's on there is all stuff that I feel that way about. Mm. So I think that that, well, and then the third part of it is being around people who can offer mentorship. So I met Greg at the ASC awards in 2017, mm. um, and which I was able to attend because I have uh, a relationship with, I had a relationship with Panavision that goes back to film school. They helped out on some student projects in New York and kept that relationship going. And they helped out on some, actually that music video, the, the one from 2016 that I mentioned. So uh, yeah, a, a few years later, the invite came in. They, uh, I was in LA and they were like, oh, you're in LA. Do you want to be our guest at the ASC Awards? And it's like, yeah, absolutely. Yes, so I it's do. putting yourself, yeah, exactly. Oh, let me think about it now. Maybe I'll stay at home. Uh, no. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, but I think yeah. it's like forging those relationships and, and, and putting yourself out there and going to those events and obviously Instagram and, and social media is a big um, platform for that kind of interaction as well. And it's like just putting yourself out there and, and messaging people and meeting up and asking for coffee, which is it's how I met many other DPs that I, that I consider friends and mentors now who have helped me along the way. So hmm. yeah, I think you, those you have things. a pretty good, pretty decent uh, Instagram following. Speaking of social media, uh, you've got like 35,000 yeah. followers on Instagram. How have you yeah. been able to, to use that as a tool uh, for both getting followers, attention, and then reaching out to people? Like what, how have you been able to build your Instagram following? I, Earlier on, like, I don't even remember when, um, this, this must've been around 2016 as well, like 2015, 2016, I sort of just went a little ham on Instagram and, and was (laughs) spending like way too much time on it, uh, a a disproportionate amount of time interacting with other uh, accounts and like 
following people, liking people's posts, commenting, all within the the cinematography world and interacting with people on like the RE, Instagram or Panavision or whatever it was. And, and then it just kind of snowballed over time. Uh, yeah. And from that, from, from overuse of the app. Uh, <laughs> so I think that that, that was, that's what, yeah. But I, I spend a lot less time on it now, but, um, uh, but it is a great uh, networking tool. And I don't, I don't just mean the sort of LinkedIn kind of gross way of networking, but also just meeting um, peers and, and colleagues and you and, you know, um, for example, it's just a great way to connect with the community. Um, It's also a great way to connect with the next generation of the community. I try to use it Mm -hmm. for educational purposes. I also um, probably shouldn't do this as much, but I do anyway use it for um, political rants and like whenever I'm frustrated with the state of the world, I think I use it as a as a an outlet and a platform to speak about certain things that that I think are important for people to know about, but also that I'm just really frustrated about. So it, it serves two purposes. Um, yeah. But try to use it for organizing, um, like getting people involved in the union and union politics, but also like um, national politics, local state politics uh, around election time. Get people to. Um, uh, make phone calls and volunteer and send letters. Like it it is a, it is useful in that way to kind of reach a lot of people, but then also like post funny cinematography memes. And I don't know, that's (laughs) the community part of it. The community building part of it, I think is like that sense of, um, of camaraderie and commiseration sometimes is also, uh, (laughs) serves a purpose, but yeah, it's, it's fun. Uh, I don't know how long it'll last, but it's, it's fun. Have you been able to get uh, direct work from your posts? Do you think? I'm sure in some way. I mean, I, I don't. I can't think of anybody who's directly ever said to me like, "Oh, I saw this and this thing on Instagram, so I wanted to reach out and hire you." But mm-hmm. I certainly have interacted with a lot of directors um, through yeah. Instagram, some of which have led has led to work. So in in that yeah. maybe somewhat indirect way, yes. Yeah. Right. Because then they're able to go, "Okay, who's this guy?" And they check out your page and see some of your work and go, "Yeah." You- it's beautiful. You really know just talking about whatever in that, in that. Totally. Or maybe it's like, I share some recent work and somebody who I worked with a while ago sees it and is like, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I hadn't thought about Orin in a while, but I really like that recent piece. Uh, Maybe I should drop, drop him a line. That has happened. So who are you, who are you represented by now? I'm at UTA now. UTA. Fantastic. And do they do, do you get most of your work through them at this point? Are they negotiating your rates? Um, how has that been able to to help in your career kind of just leveling up? Yeah, I, I definitely still bring in most of my own work. Um, but I mean, it's funny, the industry to me, especially now, the 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 more further along I get in it and and as I'm making some advances on the narrative side, i'm I'm really seeing how separate the the two sides are. They're really almost unrelated, the commercial mm-hmm. side and the narrative side. And so on the commercial side, uh, I'm, I'm sort of still at a level where I'm bringing in most of my own stuff. I know they submit me on things, but, um, I haven't, I haven't really booked anything yet, but, um, uh, they do negotiate my rates, which is extremely helpful. And also just generally handling all of the logistics negotiating paperwork, chasing down files of finished projects, chasing down payments, like that alone to me is worth the 10% commission is like, oh, you yeah. were just, it's the same thing. It's the same reason I never owned gear. It's like, I just don't like dealing with logistical minutia. <laughs> and so, yeah. and that extends to my own career, my finances, my, uh, everything. So if I can pay somebody to foist all of that work onto them, I will happily do it. And that to me is what an agency is, is really good for. Um, and especially on the commercial side is like fielding the offers and handling the communications on the narrative side. It's a little bit different because, uh, it's a, it's a more of a long-term thing. Yeah. So I, I am, it's like a, it's, it's on a year by year basis. Like, mm-hmm. I have another upcoming project that I joined before I 
well, I guess it was around the time I signed with UTA anyway, so they weren't directly involved in it. It came through my own um, connections anyway. And so that is going to keep me busy for the rest of the year. Oh, great. And I have yeah. the, the true love that we shot last year coming out later this year as well. So until all of that is done, I'm not even reading scripts. Like I'm not even talking to oh, cool. UTA narrative side in terms of like, okay, what's the next step in my career? Because I have these milestones that I need to hit first that are coming up, like the film coming out and then me wrapping this other shoot. Mm-hmm. And then after that in 2024, it'll be like, all right, let's talk next steps and that kind of thing. But for now it's... <laughs> It's just so long-term, the timeline, that it's, uh, it's a little bit different. But they have obviously been very helpful and instrumental in negotiating those deals and contracts. And especially on narrative, it's, it's, it's quite a difference in terms of what, how much they have to handle and deal with, but also what they're able to do as opposed to um, before I was wrecked. <laughs> yeah. Or working in indie film as well, because th- now we're dealing with studios, so it's also a, like a different level of negotiation. It's totally. not just one, one phone call with an indie producer. It's, it's yeah. more involved than that. So it's even so more it's a important feast. to have them. It's a feast and famine world. Uh, the filmmaking world and some, yeah. some years are amazing. You've got all the work in the world. And then sometimes the phone never rings. Um, so what have you <laughs> yep. been able to do fi- <laughs> from a financial standpoint to try and weather those storms? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I try to be my, one thing my parents did do that I'm very grateful for is they, they instilled a very strong sense of financial frugality in me mm. um, from a young age. And even though they have both done quite well in their careers, um, we've always lived a, a, a reasonably frugal lifestyle um, to this day, which I really appreciate and admire because they especially recently, totally could be in the position to, I don't know, up their um, quality of life in certain ways mm. and get a bigger house or whatever. But they choose not to do that because it's just philosophically opposed to how they view money. And I adopted that um, thinking from them for sure. And I think so I think living within your means or maybe even slightly under your means is sort of the first step to it. I currently don't own a house. I probably could go and buy one, but it would be a financial strain right now to do that. Down payment, mortgage, all of that would cause more pressure on myself to um, work more and mm. make more money and maybe compromise on the types of jobs that I work on because now I have this whole other level of financial stress on myself that I have so far chosen not to do. Um, Same goes for buying equipment. Like even though I avoided it all this time, I probably would have the means to do that now if I wanted to, but I'm still avoiding it. A, partially out of the, the laziness thing, but also out of like, okay, well now I'm, I'm in debt again. And now I, I, I will feel mentally like I am, Let's say I buy an Alexa Mini with accessories mm-hmm. and da 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 da. Now I'm like a hundred thousand dollars in in a hole, and now mentally, I will not be able to like fully let my mind at ease until I make that money back, which could take years. Yeah. So I'm I would now be applying all this undue pressure on myself, which would get worse during the famine times. It's like it's all great when it's feast, but when it's famine, all of those pressures mount up. Yeah. And right now we're, we're in a bit of a fan, a famine time uh, in, yeah. across the industry. There's not a lot of work. And uh, I see a lot of people stressing out, rightfully so. And the thing is, I just feel less stressed, like mm-hmm. first and foremost, because I don't have in all these investments and debts and things that I feel like I owe. So that's that's the first thing that I've done. Like the way I've arranged my life financially is quite simple. So when it's when it's famine, I don't have a lot of worries about not being able to make certain things or make certain payments. Um, I also I have a, a an investment account portfolio 
that I have, I put money in all the time when I make money. So that's always there and I don't touch it, but it's there. It's a break it's class there. in a case of emergency type situation. Exactly. So I have that to assuage any financial concerns, <laughs> um, which, and I haven't had to do it yet. I haven't had to do it yet, but um, it, it, yeah, it's there. And um, that, I think that's pretty much it. It's like, I, yeah. I, I'm, in, I'm in a place between those things, the live under your means and not um, overextend myself in terms of debt or um, uh, purchases or things like that. And, and having the investment account, I feel pretty secure if I don't have to work or if a situation emerges where I'm not working for a few months, I'm not going to sweat it. And, and actually the opposite, I'm going to try to enjoy that time and view it as an opportunity to do other things, live life, go on a hike, go Mm. camping, see my friends, uh, build some Lego, catch up on some (laughs) movies that I need need to watch, uh, some classic films. I've been trying to make my way through the sight and sound list of the hundred greatest films that came out last year that there's a, there's a few that I hadn't seen. So I'm making my way down the criterion channel and there's all these I things that. that I want to do, read a book, you know, like enrich yourself, <laughs> uh, go to a museum. And, and it's funny, like all those things seem pretty simple and basic at face value, but I actually do think they contribute to cinematography as well. And they contribute yeah. to your wholeness as an artist and your huh. enrichment as an artist, all of those experiences and exposure to other art forms and stuff like that, it all feeds in to um, cinematography when when a job does come along. And now suddenly it'll be like, oh, you know what I just saw that really inspired me that might play into this is that that gallery that I went to that I wouldn't have gone to if I was too busy. Just too busy working to cover those financial debts. Hmm. That's that's great, man. And I have a, I had a, I've had a very, different experience in the industry so far, right? Where it's just like, yeah. like, yeah, completely different. Where it's just like, I was like any, any paycheck I was making was just like investing back in equipment. Um, right. To, for the most part, you know, it's like, I, I, we bought a house. I, you know, it's just like, I've got other investments as well, but it's like owning equipment for me was just so important. And I do, I own multiple Lexus. I own probably eight or nine sets of lenses and I've got two trucks, you know, it's just like all these Things that I know, I know, I know. So like literally completely opposite. I, but I yeah. love, I love hearing this experience though. Cause it's, I think you're right, man. It's like, I, I feel this burden and this pressure all the time to like, make sure the gear is working. And uh, part of me just wants to relax. <laughs> like I'd love to, I'd love to go read a book or, or like hang out at a gallery and not be thinking about like, what's your yeah. next gig, dude. <laughs> you know, like a hundred percent. And this is the thing is like, yeah. I feel like I'm already overwhelmed with anxiety from <laughs> and 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 pressure from like yeah. the world at large yeah. that's enough to deal with that having the added stress of um of also like oh god finance finances and uh, i owe a payment on this and i owe a payment on that and uh, yeah i i just know myself and i know that i'm not i'm not wired for that kind of stress <laughs> i i I need to create as stress-free a zone as possible for myself in order to like get through a day because yeah, yeah there's already enough stress in the world and I already yeah. let too much of it get to me anyway, probably. So in the filmmaking world, especially. Yeah. Hey, there's one other, there's one other thing I want to talk to you about. It was funny. Like right after I reached out to you, I was on Instagram as one does. And mm. uh, I saw someone else had posted something that you had commented on and it was like completely separate from your page it was right after I reached out. So it was like, oh, this, what? That's like, I just reached out to Orrin. And it was um, regarding AI. And uh, the post, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the post, obviously AI right now is taking, you know, all the millions and billions of different images on the web and they're creating its own, their own particular art and uh, they can recreate images. And your response, I really enjoyed, right? So it was like, what are we, the question was like, what are we doing to, you know, whether the storm of AI coming to take our jobs or something like that. And can you, can you just talk to me briefly about your thoughts on, on whether, what we should do with uh, AI? Yes, I can. I've been thinking about this a lot these past few days. Um, mm-hmm. There, there was some conversation online. Um, 
in 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 this uh, uh, the cinematography salon, which is sort of a for those listening, um, it's a online community of of cinematographers, mostly mostly younger, kind of up and coming, which I'm active in. Um, also, as part of this idea of like uh, wanting to give back to the community and 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 help, so I, I I believe very strongly in that community. I'm I'm very I'm very much in favor of it. Um, so I'm I'm glad it's out there. And if if anyone wants to seek it out there on Instagram, uh, I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, big picture. I don't think it's, I don't think it's great. Like, I don't think the situation around it is great. I, I mean, I think, I think it's inevitable that it will impact the the, the industry. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I don't think that, that one can fully kind of head in the sand, be like, this is overblown or this is hyped. It's, this isn't, there's something that feels different about this one. It's not NFTs. It's not Web 3.0. It's not any of these other grifts that have come up and come and gone over the yeah. last few years that were sort of very obviously not anything. Um, this, yeah. But the the question is how it's going to impact the industry and 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 how it's not going to impact the industry. One thing I don't think it will do is replace human made films. Like it is not by the nature of how predictive model AIs work, they cannot, by definition and nature and function, create something new. They 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 only function on being fed pre-existing imagery, video, text, whatever, identifying patterns within those images and text, and then being able to be fed a prompt and predict what an image text or whatever that meets the parameters of the prompt would look like that's how exactly. they work exactly yes so based off of old material correct material that already material. exists yes exactly so so there's a there is a inherent limit to what this technology mm. can do it can get better at that thing and it is and that's that's the scary part because it's getting better very quickly yeah and there's a lot of content that i can already think of that a corporation would look at and say, why should I go out and pay a hundred people a union rate, for example, to go film a shot of a Jeep driving through a mountainous road to advertise a new car? Yep. Why would you pay for a crew to go to Montana and film that if you can generate it in with an AI software? in Unreal Engine and and texture and render it to look photo real. Now, we're not, that's like five years away. Uh-huh. Maybe. It could be less. Could be less. <laughs> it could be less. But, <laughs> it could be less. But yeah, it could be less. But uh, my best guess is that that's like five years away. Like something that looks as good as going out and filming it. Yeah. Um, food, product photography, um, fashion editorials. I mean, there's like a laundry list of content that yeah i could see that going away like i could see that being replaced and automated and that sucks like that really the image and image based <laughs> is happening faster so yeah. the the people that are going to go first before us are graphic designers um fashion editorial photographers like anything like that because you're we're the technology is basically already at a place where you can if you are, say, uh, Calvin Klein, you can upload images of your clothing line and you can upload images of Timothy Chalamet and generate <laughs> an image of Timothy Chalamet wearing your clothes wearing and put it on clothes. the cover of yeah. GQ magazine. Yeah. Now, there are legal issues there that will sure. be resolved that haven't yet. Yeah, but you but, can type in once, and say, change his face a little bit. <laughs> well, like, I mean, done. what yeah. I mean is like for brands to start using this, they will have to solve the legal issues because mm-hmm. a brand is not going to be able to use MidJourney or any of these apps in their current state because of the, le- the, le- the, the legal ambiguity. But once those legal mm-hmm. issues are resolved, the version of this software that I think will exist is that is that you'll be able to download it and upload your own copyrighted content. So instead of pulling from a larger database of like illegally scraped imagery from the internet, which is currently what it is, yes. um, based off of is stolen images. Um, 
that's good. I mean, eventually that's going to go away because lawsuits are already moving through the courts that will resolve this issue. But what, what you will be able to do is upload your own copyrighted images and say mm-hmm. like, okay, well, Calvin Klein, we have our version of an AI image generator that we that hmm. is filled with and trained on a model of our copyrighted images and material and our entire backlog of catalog imagery and stuff like that 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 we own the copyright to. So that now we can then use it to create new, generate it. new yeah. images, exactly. And celebrities will license their their likeness. So what mm-hmm. they'll do is they'll say, oh, you want Timothy Chalamet in this campaign. You'll still have to pay, obviously. You're going to have to pay him a shit ton of money, but he's not going to show up to a photo shoot. You're just going to pay yeah. for his likeness. likeness. And again, this is a f- yep. few years away. This is a few years away. But um, but but I think it's coming. I think it's coming. Okay, so that's the that's the negative. That this is the that's the scary part. That's that's all the scary part. The non-scary part <laughs> is that it, it 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 can't replace human created art by definition and nature. It just can't do it. So that will always exist in the same way that. Um, in the 80s and 90s, when when synthesized electronic music started kind of becoming more prevalent, um, people people had the same concerns in the music industry. Like, why would anybody pick up a real musical instrument ever again when we have perfectly recorded sounding databases of every musical instrument ever uh, recorded? Yeah. Uh, electronically that you can then play on a keyboard and replicate the sound of a whole orchestra, which you can do now. You can, we can do it now on our, on our laptops. You yep. go into GarageBand and they have like pretty good sounding music samples for yeah, uh, generating for uh, electronic music for free. But musicians are still playing musical instruments now. And, mm-hmm. and audiences still go to see musicians playing musical instruments. Uh, and bookstores are thriving over the last few years. Yeah. Um, and um, the performing arts are not have not changed in millennia of existing within human uh, civilization. Even though along the way, new technologies emerged that people at the time said, "Well, why would anyone go see a play ever again when we can go see a movie? Hmm. And why would anyone go see a movie ever again when when you get movies beamed into your living room on your television?" And mm-hmm. at every inflection point of those technologies, even though it's true, they, they do disrupt, they do change the, the, the hierarchy and the nature of how an industry works, the core art doesn't go away because people have an innate desire to engage with art created by other people and to engage with the emotions that come from that art. So... AI will not be able to, in our lifetimes at least, until we actually make a real AI, uh, like an artificial replication of the human brain, which does not exist right now for the record and is not close <laughs> to existing, um, that can actually think independently and like go through the random like billion uh, neurological processes that are required to like make an artistic decision, you know? that a human can do until that is possible ai cannot create art like philosophically it can't so people will still need to do it people will still need to make films and there will always be people who will want to watch films and stories made by people um and we as individuals have agency to choose what kind of art we want to make as artists and also what kind of art we want to consume as consumers. And that's what's, that's what it's going to be. Like I, for example, right now, even before all of this stuff was like, there's certain types of content and things and shows and movies and whatever that I, I have no interest in working on because I have certain artistic aspirations and expectations for myself and like the type of projects and directors and whatever that I want to work on and the quality of those projects that drive my artistic pursuits and my career goals. 
And that doesn't change with, with this because yeah. the, the goals remain the same. The artists that I want to work with, the people that I want to work with stays the same. And those people cannot be replaced by AI. They just can't by definition. So that's, yeah, that's, that's what I think is I think that <laughs> there's always going to be, there's always going to be a, a place for that. There's, there's, there's always, people will always want the emotional response of engaging with something real and genuine. And AI can't replace it in the same way that it can't replace live music, performing arts, dance, anything like that. Like it just, it's by nature, by definition, can't replace that experience. And movies are the same. Movies are the same. Good movies are the same. Good quality movies that you go to the theater and feel something and feel emotionally invested in and swept away in cannot be replicated. End of long answer. <laughs> All right. So I think uh I think uh that's the end of the episode. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Thanks for dropping this like massive uh, philosophical woo. question that's like weighing on all of us right now, but I was really yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to talk through it. I think we need to to talk through this stuff cuz um I don't know. It's it, yeah. It will cha- it will disrupt things. It will we will feel it in the commercial yeah. space. We'll feel it. Um, and, uh, and it's definitely scary, but I also think there's some doomsday scenarios that are, uh, uh, unreasonable. Not They're un- unrealistic that people I agree. Are, yeah. I think that anyway. just, it's for me, it, it's, it's even more reason to be completely original in everything we do, because like you said, AI cannot, it cannot produce something that has not been created. It's, yes. it's only using imagery that is already in existence. So it is, it's our responsibility now to, to try and stretch the, the limits of what we know creatively, to be not in that 99% of everything that's already been created, but to, to be a little bit more visually bizarre, uh, to, to try and <laughs> put our stamp yeah. even more on stuff. Uh, 100%. 100%. I, I completely agree. So, and it'll, it'll, it'll self-select in the same way that everything self-selects. It will. Yeah self-select people who want, are okay with that kind of content and accepting that level of quality will be okay with it. And they're okay with it now because they're watching shows on certain streamers that are not much different than something that would be generated in AI anyway. So yeah. that's good. That That's not going to change. And then the people who aspire for more is not going to change either. So we're going to have to... Just pick our sides <laughs> in this and choose what we, yeah, what we value. But yeah, it's well, definitely Oren, interesting. Thank you so much, man, for your, for taking the time to be on the podcast. Yeah. I learned a lot. I had a great time and uh, I'd love to, we should oh. get, I'd love to meet up and grab lunch at some point sometime. I, I, I would love nothing more. I'm, I'm, I, I am free, especially these days. Just, just chilling. Yeah, a lot of chilling going okay. on. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's a great thing to do in between jobs instead of stressing. Yes, it's like let's just yeah, exactly. go, let's hang out. Let's. Uh, I'm inspired. Let's get some drinks. Good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good. Good. Cool. Well, I look forward to it. Thanks. Thanks again for having me. This is really fun. Of course. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for sticking around to the end. Very interesting stuff. I'm actually really curious to see what happens in commercial photography and cinematography in the future. Um, already, I, I think uh, this week I saw Levi's announced it was going to start um, experimenting with uh, AI talent in some of their Levi ads. So are you against it? Are you for it? Like, is there a way for you to adapt that into your own creative field? Like, I want to hear about it. So reach out to me, social media, um, or if you got my number, shoot me a text, or give me a call. I'm happy and anxious to hear from you guys. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Everybody.